This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay in Mountain View, California. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. Hello. Hmm. Nice to be here again. It's interesting, uh, you know, I, I appreciate being invited to teach in other places to get a feel for the different groups, different sanghas, different communities of uh, meditation, meditators, Buddhists, quasi-Buddhists, American Buddhists, whatever you want to call yourselves, non-Buddhists. Sometimes, sometimes I call myself a budding Buddhist. Because I like the, the, there's the different energy within groups. So anyway, I was asked to um, come and be a part of this group and participate in this um, series. And there was the kind of just the, the link to the sutta and a list of the topics. All right. It was fairly open at the time, and I was like, hmm, let's see, which one would be easiest to talk about? <laughs> And I chose contentment, and immediately I realized, well, actually it wasn't immediate, because I, really, I didn't really reflect on it for a little while, so this was months ago. Uh, but as I've been reflecting on this uh, term, you know, this quality, contentment, to be content, as in my own meditation practice, kind of recently, and as I've been kind of fleshing out this talk, it's it's a challenging subject, actually. Let me just read the kind of the beginning, the kind of synopsis of this uh, eight great thoughts. So this dhamma is one with few desires. This Dhamma is for one with few desires, not for one with strong desires. This Dhamma is for one who is content, not for one who is discontent. This Dhamma is for one who resorts to solitude, not for one who delights in company. This Dhamma is for one who is energetic, not for one who is lazy. This Dhamma is for one with mindfulness established, not for one who is muddled mind minded, who is muddle minded. This Dhamma is for one who is concentrated, not for one who is unconcentrated. This Dhamma is for one who is wise, not for one who is unwise. So this teaching as i was reading it and kind of contemplating it i was thinking this is it's like a lot of uh the buddhist suttas where there's it's kind of this like you've already arrived you know it's 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 for one who is concentrated not for one who is unconcentrated for one who is content not for one who is uncontented and so on. And I, 
as much as I appreciate that it's this kind of, it's the roadmap. Uh, when I was thinking about this topic of content or contentment, I kept, what kept coming up for me is there's what's talked about in this sutta, and then there's how does this apply in our lives here and now. So I'd like you to help me with that. So just to popcorn, just to kind of pop out, when you think of the word contentment, what comes to mind? Just one word or sentence. Acceptance. Acceptance. Ease. Ease. Serenity. Puppies. Puppies. Simple. 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 Enough. Enough. Non judging. Stillness. Stillness. Yeah. Tranquility comes to mind. Calm. Ease came to my mind quite a bit, actually. In the instruction I, I kind of gave it when the battery went off, right, was uh, can we be at ease with whatever the situation is? And I really, that kind of, for me, that, that's like encapsulates this whole kind of word, this understanding as a practice. Can I be at ease with whatever the situation is? Pleasant, unpleasant, neither. I feel like Uh, In other teachings, this is really what the Buddha is pointing to around this contentment or to be content. Of course, we might be really aware of the opposite, right? And let's, let's word surf that one. Discontent, what comes up? Agitation. Fear. Resistance. Aversion. Anger. Anger. Judging. Strong desire. Yeah. Like a pulling. Yeah. Attachment. Attachment. Yeah. Dukkha. Yeah. Suffering. This craving, this attachment, and all of the different flavors that you discussed, that you brought up. And I feel like in our day and age, um, I'll get back to the sutta and what the meaning of it is there, but I feel like this is more the common, is the discontent and the uh, effort put into this practice. There's some you know, hope, there's some glimmer of contentment, to be content. So I looked up, in the English dictionary, content. It's an adjective. In a state of peaceful happiness, he seemed more content, less bitter. Another uh, definition, satisfied with a certain level of achievement, good fortune, and not wishing for more. He had to be content with third place, which I thought was interesting. The Duke was content to act as regent. So there's this kind of a little bit of like accepting what is, but then in the English version, it 
It has a little bit of a not quite good enough, but okay. And so somebody said not enough or enough. And that's another, uh, that's another word that had came up when I was contemplating. Because what I was really doing, I just sat with this for a while, last few weeks, just kind of sitting with content, contentment. What does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for others? So yeah, acceptance. So there's a Buddhist view too. Contentment. So here's a there's just a little passage. Gone beyond fear of birth and death, they are contented and unstirred, having conquered Mara and his mount. So Mara in the Buddhist cosmology, mythology, iconography is this being that is the kind of like the the continuation of kind of ignorance and the uh, destroyer of, you know, enlightenment. He wants to keep people, he's kind of like a little bit like the devil, they call him the Lord of Death. In other words, uh, keeping us in the cycle of ignorance and suffering. Um, And so one who is content is breaking free from that. In other words, uh, greed, hatred, and delusion no longer uh, shake or stir, unstirred, as it says. There's another definition from a Pali word, uh, tusati, which means to be contented or pleased, or happy. I just thought I would look at that a little bit. Kind of break that down. Now, the specific verse that talks about to be content, there's actually, later on in the sutta, there's a little breakdown. And it says, uh, when it was said, so this is more the kind of uh, traditional uh, monastic uh, understanding of the word content. When it, when it was said, this Dhamma is for one who is content, not for one who is discontent, with reference to what was this said. Here, a bhikkhu, a meditator, a practitioner, in this instance, a monk, or one who has gone forth, is content with any kind of robes, alms foods, lodgings, and medicines, and provisions for the sick. When it was said, this Dhamma is for one who is content, not for one who is discontent. It is with reference to this that this was said. So in essence, that kind of uh, uh, to be content with what is, with what one has or doesn't have. And as a monastic, one who has gone forth, relinquished so much. Uh, The Buddha obviously encouraged this. Uh, There's some there's some focus here, right? So there's even stories of uh, of, uh, monks or nuns being instructed to uh, take any robes that were given to them, any cloth that was given to them, even cloth off the corpse of a dead body and being content with that. 
uh, any food that is offered, to be content with that. As long as the uh, lodgings are suitable uh, for protection from the weather, to be content with that. Now, how many people in this room, they would be content with that? You know, even the medicines, there was a, um, I was joking about this in my group the other day, there's some stories of uh, even the medicine that is the fermented urine of the ox, to be content with that, that that is a requisite, and to be content with that. (laughs) So it's a little out of context, Right? from what we're actually kind of looking at or dealing with. But I still, I, th- I still think it points to the essence of the teaching. Um, so as I read that, I was like, yeah, that's definitely not where I'm at, you know. <laughs> and why not? Well, I chose not to be a monk, actually. Um, not just for this per- these particular reasons, but there, it, it is a little bit rough. It's rough going. Anyone that is a monastic in this Theravada tradition, I have deep respect for the uh, renunciation that is called for, that is chosen. Uh, and I think that's what's being pointed to. Uh, if you want to be free from suffering, cling to nothing. Cling to nothing. Be content with what is. Internally or externally. So my instruction, uh, relax, observe, allow, is a form of practicing contentment. Can we relax into each breath, each moment, each sensation of the body, each mind state as it passes? Can we also know it and not turn away from it, not try to avoid it, not distract ourselves? And then allow that which arises to pass away. I feel like this is a very helpful instruction. I've been using it for many years. So then I did a little more searching. And I found this poem that I feel like encapsulates what is meant in this teaching but a little bit more maybe eloquently. This is a poem by Bhutta Tera. It's called No Greater Contentment. It's translated from Pali. When the thundering storm cloud roars out in the mist and torrents of rain fill the paths of the birds nestled in the mountain cave, a monk meditates. No greater contentment than this can be found. When along the river the tumbling flowers bloom in winding wreaths adorned with verdant color, seated on the bank, glad-minded, he meditates. No greater contentment than this can be found. When the depths of night in a lonely forest the rain deva drivels, drizzles, and the fanged beast cries, nestled in a mountain cave, the monk meditates. No greater contentment than this can be found. When restraining himself and his discursive thoughts, dwelling in a hollow in the mountain's mist, 
devoid of fear and barrenness. He meditates. No greater contentment than this can be found. When he is happy, expunged of stain, waste and grief, unobstructed, unencumbered, unassailed, having ended all defilements, he meditates. No greater contentment than this can be found. So what comes up for people when you hear this? Please. When I've thought about contentment in the past, and I've always, you know, you come up against something, and for me it was, how would you distinguish it from resignation? Mm-hmm. Just giving up mm-hmm. in a very passive way. And in the poem, they said, glad-minded. Mm-hmm. And it just gave me a little bit of an insight of that this goes beyond mm-hmm. the resignation. That yeah. It takes it and you're not leaving something behind you. You're, you're transforming it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting it in a way of total balance beyond Yeah, yeah. So she's talking about the glad-minded and that there could be this idea of resignation connected to content, to be content with the way, that kind of like the English version that I kind of put up. But uh, that really it's about um, maybe a relinquishing or a letting be or a being with what is, as we've kind of talked about, yeah. Any other uh, just thoughts about the poem? I can. When I first read it, it something hit me like in my chest. Something just went like, "Oh, this is I have to read this at this group." So that's why I did it. Okay, where are we at? I'll read a little faster this time. When the thundering storm cloud roars out in the mist, and torrents of rain fill the paths of, of the birds, nestled in the mountain cave, the monk meditates. No greater contentment than this can be found. When along the rivers the tumbling flowers bloom in winding wreaths adorned with verdant color, seated on the bank, glad-minded, he meditates. No greater contentment than this can be found. When in the depths of night, in a lonely forest, the rain deva drizzles and the fanged beast cries, nestled in a mountain cave, the monk meditates. No greater contentment than this can be found. When restraining himself and his discursive thoughts, dwelling in a hollow in the mountain's midst, devoid of fear and barrenness, he meditates. No greater contentment than this can be found. When he is happy, expunged of stain, waste and grief, unobstructed, unencumbered, unassailed, having ended all defilement, he meditates. No greater contentment than this can be found. Please. 
please. Like liberation, yeah. Yeah. So the, thank you. So the first, I just read it, as I read it again, it came a little bit more clear. This is one of those things, actually, that I think we could, it's like a contemplation. We just keep reading it, keep reading it. Buddha Terra can be found on Access to Insight. Just look up contentment. So in the first few stanzas, there's this kind of external, whether it's difficult, whether it's pleasant, the contentment of the practice, the reliance, the refuge of even the cave. Even the cave can be talked about as the refuge of the cave from the storm. The practice can be a refuge from the external, pleasant or unpleasant and then lower into the stanzas, even uh, where there's fear, right? The fanged beasts. Have you ever been in the woods at night and you hear something that you have no idea? <laughs> A story just popped into my mind, but I'll let it go. The fear of the mind can be overwhelming. So then later, you know, when he is happy, expunged of stain, waste and grief, unobstructed, unencumbered, unassailed, having ended all defilements, he meditates. Yeah, this is pointing towards liberation, towards freedom from suffering, freedom from the uh, grasping or the pushing away, that there is some confidence that is built through the sustained practice is what I'm getting from this, you know. The having set aside the discursive thoughts, restraining the greed, hatred, and delusion that is rampant in our minds, in our lives, in our society. So it's kind of pointing to in and in, you know, going to the practice at first for refuge. And, uh, and, you know, there's been times actually where I've, even at Spirit Rock, where there's like Bambi and wild turkeys and, you know, sitting on a platform in the evening and hearing something crunching in the bushes behind me and actually feeling terrified. Could be a mountain lion. There was some announcement earlier about a mountain lion. And then just really riding that out in my own practice. And then eventually as it gets closer and closer and the fear is mounting and mounting, uh, opening my eyes and seeing it's just a little doe. And then immediately how that fear shifted and just disappeared. And what changed? Awareness. So I was just thinking, that's the story that came up a few minutes ago. So some say we have two inclinations. We have an inclination towards the, uh, you'd say, towards feeding the hindrances, feeding uh, wanting and aversion, feeding uh, the sloth and torpor, the kind of uh, sleepiness or sinking mind, the doubt, 
the restlessness, the agitation. So this may be a habit. This could be a uh, habitual kind of behavior. Or the other inclination, which is really what I'm thinking about and what the Buddha points to, is feeding uh, the seven factors of awakening, actually. The seven factors of awakening, which I'm now going to make this transition from talking about contentment and then using the word tranquility to mean the same thing. So just, this is just the way I'm kind of making a link. So there's these two lists, right? One that leads to continued suffering and one that leads to lessening suffering and increasing happiness. And we have the power to shape our minds. This is what the Buddha pointed to again and again and again. We have the power to shape our minds. We were born into the human realm. We have the the ability to feel and know suffering and to be liberated from it. This is a beautiful thing. But it's up to us, right? We have to uh, engage in the practice. We have to uh, continually come back to this moment, this breath, whether it's a difficult mind state or not. So Ajahn Jimian was a Thai forest master, actually not a forest master, he's a Thai meditation master in the south, actually in Krabi. Uh, he doesn't come to the States much anymore, but um, he was quoted as saying that he hasn't had anger he hasn't felt or experienced anger in 25 years. So that there's a, yeah, I mean, to me that, that was profound. Profound enough for me to remember it. And possibly, I think this was several years ago at the time, you know, I was really exploring anger. <laughs> and not the benefit of it, right? Then there's an Indian teacher, Deepama, who was a um, kind of a female sage uh, from, I believe, just outside of Calcutta. And she was uh, a, a teacher to many of the uh, Western kind of pioneers, uh, Jack Hornfield being one, Joseph Goldstein. She was once asked, uh, close to the end of her life, uh, you know, what, what is in your mind? You know, what, what does your mind consist of? And she said without a beat, concentration, metta, and peace. That is all. That seems like a, con- a content mind to me, a tranquil mind to me. So how do we get there? You know, how do we get there? One breath at a time, I think. One moment of returning when when our attention has uh, wandered off. And I also think that the development of this practice is not about getting insight as much as uh, kind of staying the course. Keep going. Even though it's difficult, it will be difficult. We have these minds. They incline towards hindrances. (laughs) But with awareness, we can recognize them and incline them towards contentment, being at ease with whatever our situation is. Radical acceptance. Right? Somebody said that. I think they wrote a book about it. Tara Brock. Right, it was Tara Brock. Yeah, I was being playful. 
So the seven factors, so mindfulness, keen investigation of the Dharma, energy or virya, virya, this kind of uh, sustained energy of practice, rapture, which is interesting. I, you know, it's considered rapture or happiness, pity, calm, which you can, the, the calm is often translated as tranquility or contentment, concentration and equanimity. So these are considered kind of stages in the practice as we're uh, developing this contentment, this equanimity, this serenity. It's not, it's not the end goal, but it's a, it's a stop along the path. And I think what I recognize it as is that it helps us to sustain for kind of the deeper levels of concentration and equanimity. So moving into the jhana practice, which I know Shiloh talks probably a lot about. So I wanted to focus on this last piece about contentment. This is by Tanasaru Bhikkhu. Contentment is a characteristic of the real happy individual. The ordinary worldling seems to think that it is difficult to cultivate and develop contentment. But by dint of courage, determination, systematic attention, and thought about the things one meets with in everyday life, by controlling one's evil inclinations, which I would translate to the hindrances or the leaning towards the... uh, unwholesome or unskillful. I don't really like the word evil, but you know. And by curbing the impulses, the sudden tendencies to act without reflection, one can keep the mind from being soiled and experience happiness through contentment. So again, this is kind of going back to uh, Buddha Terra's poem. So if we can meet the Uh, difficulties of our life with a quality of contentment, of acceptance, not of resignation, actually, but can we stay with it? Can we allow it to transform? Uh, This, to me, is kind of how we can work with this here and now without having to go off into the Thai forest, uh, you know, kind of monastic tradition but we can work with accepting the way things are and being content even in small ways with, um, with this talk, with your meal, with the car that you own, with the relationship, with the whatever it is. Can we practice opening to accepting things as they are? And in my opinion, from that place, there can be more peace, more ease, less strife. It doesn't mean that we don't still engage in the world. But to practice this quality of contentment, this is uh, what I feel like is being pointed to here. From the extreme of the monastic to the accepting whatever Whatever robes, I have a good friend of mine, he's very much in the world. His name is Budri Das. And um, 
He comes from a slightly different tradition. But several years ago, you know, he took the renunciation of just wearing two colors. He wears gray pants. And he wears either, while well, he either wears white or gray, depending. He kind of, sometimes he has white pants and gray. He kind of goes, there's a little bit of variation, but pretty much gray and white. That's all that he wears. And it was his, and I talked to him about it once years ago when I was young, right? When I was younger, just kind of newly in practice. And he was like, it's just my, my way of letting go of the complication of life in one simple way. And that was, uh, Profound to me, there was a, and there was a contentment, there was an ease, there is an ease about him. So anyway, I think I'll open up, there we have a few minutes, I'll open up for uh, some questions, if there's some questions. Uh, some really, I'm much more interested, is there any reflection that you're having about this for yourself, please? a great question. The question was about, you know, discontent and around decision making and that we have so many decisions that we're making all day long. Um, and some of them can be costly or really intense. And this is the choice that we make by living in the world, by having jobs and, you know, careers and families and whatever. So this, there's, a, so there's a certain acceptance of that amount, that there's a certain amount of suffering that comes with being a householder. So there's some acceptance there. And I feel like uh, this is where the other aspects of you know, mindfulness and discernment. So uh, to hold the cost-benefit of something without... Because actually monks make decisions all the time. I mean, I, I've gone up to a Bayagiri several times. and There's tons of decisions they're making. So it's not like just because you uh, give up your whatever you know, job you have in your family life doesn't mean that you're not having decisions. So I think it's the relationship to the decision once it's made. That's the way I feel about it. Anyway, that's my my kind of thought about it right in this moment. To be content with wants, you get to that point, and to also be content with to let things go and maybe not have to make every decision right away, but to also rec- also to be content with the fact that you're choosing suffering by being involved in as many, you know, as many decisions, difficult decisions, but do we have to let them encumber us? You know, please. Um, I was really enjoying the, actually, um, reflecting perfectly on what you just said, and then the conversation of um, um, uh, resignation versus active choice. Mm. Um, and it reminds me of the conversation I was just having this afternoon, um, teaching mindfulness and so one of my things was prompted by somebody saying, oh, are you ever scared when you go in or if you go to San Quentin? And I was like, no, actually, some of those are the wisest, most subtle people I know. And actually, the longer they're in there, the more closer to lifers they are, the more subtle they often are. And so then we were kind of reflecting on that. And they were, a lot of them have been 
in and out of prison as well, which is not quite the same thing as short in jail. And so they're like, yeah, I noticed that. I was like, oh, I was all scared of them. And then I noticed they're so cool, they're so subtle. And so I was, at, I was having them call on that. I'm like, what, what, why do you think that is? So you guys have way more education than you're getting out of here in a week or a month or whatever. Those guys are totally settled in. And, I, and so I, you know, I let them kind of play with it for a long time. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, it's kind of like a monastic situation where if you remove a lot of choices, all you have is kind of be nice or don't be nice. Mm-hmm. Every moment you have is mm-hmm. the day. And a lot of them, given the choice, are really, really cool. And I, I mentioned the Victor Frankl thing, too. You know, um, people find choice and kindness in every opportunity, yeah. even under the most dire circumstances. So, anyway, it felt like an appropriate thing, kind of bouncing between these two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once the having worked with uh, inmates as well, uh, once the sentencing has taken place, there is a there is a, I wouldn't not necessarily contentment at that stage. I mean, you're talking about also you know once people have kind of really settled into this is the way things are. So back to that, can I be at ease with whatever the situation is? Yeah. Yes, really helpful. It's helpful for me. So we need to end. Thank you very much for your time and attention. Maybe we'll see you again. Just to take a moment, actually, and just reflect, just allow the eyes to close. And just reflecting on all the goodness of our practice, the intention to be clear, to understand the Dharma, the goodness of this sustained effort of coming to this sangha, to other groups, your own home practice, and the sincere desire, wholesome desire, for happiness and well-being. May we be at ease, whatever the situation And may all beings experience this peace and ease. May we all be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.